Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Beauty and the Beast in today's Retro Review episode. What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? A few weeks ago, I put out an episode uh, reviewing The Lion King uh, because I was able to go back to a local theater of mine and see it. And I was so excited. You know, that's one of my favorite movies growing up as a kid. It is one of the first Disney movies that I connected to personally and emotionally. And it's, you know, it, it going and seeing that in the theater really shows you just how impressive and incredible these Disney movies have been. And we've been, we were a little spoiled last year between Zootopia and Moana. It was a fantastic year for animated Disney movies. And I think with all these, you know, between Frozen and Tangled and Big Hero 6 and Wreck-It Ralph, we've been, I think probably a lot of people... Not a lot. Maybe some people probably have forgotten just how great the older Disney movies are. You know, the 2D animation, you know, the Lion Kings, the Little Mermaids. Oh, and you can go back as far as you want, you know, in that respect. Um, you know, The Fox and the Hound is one of my favorite Disney movies of all time. Uh, you can... Um, Lady and the Tramp is great. The Rescuers, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh back, you know, when there's 70s. Uh, if we go back to the 60s, there's, um, you know, there's The Sword in the Stone, 101 Dalmatians, uh, Sleeping Beauty in the 50s, and, and so on and so forth. Snow White, Robin Hood, Alice in Wonderland. There's so many great Disney movies. And Beauty and the Beast is one that had so much resting on its shoulders. We had just had The Little Mermaid come out in 1989. And then, uh, you know, a year later, we had The Rescuers Down Under. And it felt like we were finally, you know, that was the beginning and uh, the start of the Disney Renaissance. And then it was solidified and hammered home by Beauty and the Beast in 1991. Uh, this is 26 years ago. Man, it, it, you know, the year I was born. And, you know, this is a movie that not only did it solidify the Disney Renaissance, it, you know, it was a revelation in animation, in music, in color and art. It, would pave the way for animated films for the next 26 years in in Oscar categories. It would become the first animated film ever nominated for Best Picture. Uh, it is currently tied with WALL-E for the most Oscar nominations for an animated film at six. Uh, Beauty and the Beast nominated for Best Picture, uh, nominated and winning Best Original Score, nominated three times, winning once for Best Original Song, 
and nominated for, at the time, Best Sound, what we now call Best Sound Mixing. Uh, Wally, which would come out uh, 20, uh, 17 years after Beauty and the Beast, would be nominated for Original Screenplay, Win, Animated Feature Film, nominated f- uh, and then also nominated for Original Song, Original Score, Sound Editing, and Sound Mixing. Uh, it also is currently tied for the most Oscars won by an animated film at two, uh, but it holds that record alongside Toy Story 3, Up, Aladdin, The Incredibles, The Lion King, The Little Mermaid, Frozen, Pocahontas, Fantasia, and Pinocchio. Actually, that Fantasia one I'm going to have to double check uh, because I don't have the statistics to back that up, but the numbers say it does. So uh, let me see. Maybe I'm just... Oh, no, it won. It got two honorary Oscars. That's what happened. Okay, Pinocchio. Cool. So, Beauty and the Beast is my is tied for my fifth favorite Disney animated film of all time. Uh, it sits aside The Little Mermaid, Bambi, and Paper Man with a 94 rating. And that puts it behind uh, Moana and Zootopia from last year, uh, The Lion King, and Mulan. Uh, And it's just, I think if you ask the average person, I think their age and the time in which they kind of got into movies is really going to change what their favorite Disney movie is. Because, you know, for me... My favorite is Mulan, and that's because it came out when I was seven. You know, it came out right in that age where I was old enough to see the movie, watch the movie, understand the movie, and now I still am also old enough to remember the movie so that when I watch it again, I still feel all that nostalgia. I still feel all of that impact and and meaning and enjoyment that I experienced when I was a kid. You know, I was a little too young for The Lion King to hit me in that perfect spot. You know, I missed Aladdin, uh, you know, and then, you know, Mulan just captured me in a way that Fantasia 2000 or Tarzan didn't quite reach. You know, I think they're both fantastic, but uh, I think Mulan is and perhaps always shall be uh, just the absolute best Disney film in my eyes. Uh, I have Mulan rated at 99, so presumably there is actually room for something else to take that spot, but uh, that remains to be seen and and attained. So this is the sixth time I've seen Beauty and the Beast, and the first time I've seen it in the theater. I was really excited for that because Despite the fact that the live-action movie came out in March this year, I'd I'd never really seen the animated film in this kind of a spectacle, you know, never in this kind of a dedicated setting. And for me, this is far much more far more exciting than seeing The Lion King. I'd seen The Lion King in IMAX. I'd seen The Lion King in 3D in the theater before. So going to see it a couple of weeks ago was still a big deal. It was still a great movie that I absolutely loved, but it didn't hold as much of significance as Beauty and the Beast did. 
you know, if I, you know, the same thing would be said for any Disney movie that came out before I was born. I just had no way of seeing it in the theaters. And so this would be a first. This is an original experience. This is something that I've never had a chance to to feel before. And so watching the the colors and the artwork and the hearing the the voice acting, hearing the songs, these iconic songs that I've listened to hundreds and hundreds of times that I've heard interpretations for and covers of, seen in different movies, and, you know, I've watched the videos for them on YouTube over and over and over again. I've talked to people about them. I've sang them with other people. And seeing them on this big screen in this empty theater, just me and my girlfriend, it was just a truly like magical experience. It's, you know, it's something that despite, you know, I'm, I'm not a kid anymore, but I just, Disney just has that way about it that it can't, you can't replicate at all. It's always going to have that spark, that element, that magic to it. We were lucky enough to see this movie in an empty theater together. So that meant that we were also able to belt out all of the songs uh, and, and, and laugh and talk while we were watching the movie, which was actually a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we were able to poke holes in a lot of the plot and contrivances and, and continuity mistakes that happen, point out differences between this movie and the live action movie, which was the first movie I saw with my girlfriend together, as it turns out. And it's just it's just magical and part of that magic in my opinion is because for the the vast majority of this cast aren't big name actors you know other than Angela Lansbury there's no one in this cast that was supremely recognizable back in the day as far as I'm aware at least I, I as far as I'm aware this isn't the Lion King which came out a few years later that had you know, Matthew Broderick and Rowan Atkinson and Nathan Lane and Jeremy Irons and all these names in it. You know, James Earl Jones. This, that's not this. Uh, this is Robbie Benson, Jesse Cordy, Rex Everhart, Paige O'Hara, Jerry Orbach, David Ogden Stiers, Brian Cummings, Tony Jay, uh, Sherry Lynn, Bradley Pierce. These are not name. these are not household names back in 1991. To the best of my knowledge, they're just good voice actors. And that was part of what I really enjoyed about this movie is that as much as I love the fact that Disney and that all animated movies now have like A-list casts, because that's great for my spreadsheet, there's just something so novel and wonderful about a good voice cast in a good animated movie where you don't spend the whole movie going, isn't that Jason Bateman? Isn't that Jennifer Goodwin? Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that, isn't that? Uh, and, you know, the only time I did that in this movie was Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Potts. Uh, and I think, you know, kind of like Aladdin, you don't really do that except with Robin Williams, I think. And I thought that that element of that movie and that element of this movie is highly rewarding, in my opinion. I think it just... It, it, it creates a great atmosphere. And if Beauty and, Beast, Beauty and the Beast is good at one thing, it is fantastic at creating atmosphere. 
getting to see that ballroom scene on a huge theater screen was breathtaking. It looks phenomenal. The dress, the the the, the animation, the oh, it was gorgeous. And for the most part, this movie holds up ridiculously well. Uh, you know, I obviously it's it's still back in the days where the things that you you can already when you look at a new background you can tell exactly what parts of the room that are going are going to be interacted with based on the way that they're animated but you know it's everything still looks absolutely gorgeous and there's so many subtle subtleties and movements and uh, emotive responses between these characters that didn't need to be there that showed attention to detail that showed just how much care and love and affection went into making this film and i i'm i adore it i absolutely adore it so beauty and the beast with a 94 is number two for me in 1991 uh, it's only second to the silence of the lambs best uh, best picture winner from that year uh, so very very good company um it is currently uh ranked 168th in my overall top 250, which is very good. Uh, it's ranked 244th overall in IMDb's top 250. So it's got a lot of good standing as far as that's concerned. Uh, Sherry Lynn, who I mentioned before, uh, is this is her seventh best rated movie, and she is the highest rated actor on my spreadsheet. Frank Welker who is also in this film, uh, lending his voice. is This is his sixth best movie, and he is ranked 34th overall on my actor spreadsheet. Followed by... Um, next, we'd have to go to Angela Lansbury, all the way down to the 400s. So, uh, you know, two of the top 50 in actors on my spreadsheet are in this movie, which is pretty, that's pretty crazy, pretty great. Uh, as far as writers go, Chris Sanders wrote Beauty and the Beast along with How to Train Your Dragon, Mulan, Aladdin, Lilo and Stitch, uh, The Croods. He's ranked 12th in my writers list. Also writing for this movie is Bernie Mattinson. This is his best rated movie. He was also on Aladdin, Fox and the Hound, Great Mouse Detective, and Hunchback. Uh, he's ranked 38th. And then if you go to directors... Uh, directed by Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise, who also directed Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, they are ranked 333rd on my best directors list. Uh, so uh, this is a movie that I think deserves and is worth all the credit it received. It is a movie that will probably continue to be iconic and remembered and referenced and just 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 in the conversation i think this movie is going to far outlast the uh, emma watson version as much as, as i think that's a good movie and i think it doesn't it does enough to do justice to this original to the film it's based on but i i don't think that's ever going to surpass this version uh, on anyone in anyone's mind i think this is the iconic version of the story and, you know, just the beast, how terrifying the beast is in the early moments of this film. I just forgot just how scary he looks. 
and you almost don't even realize how sim- how seamlessly and smoothly they transition him from this growling, ferocious creature into a dapper gentleman. Uh, you know, it, it seems to happen like that, and yet it really doesn't. It's a very methodical and slow adjustment, and it's it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Uh, there are a lot of issues. Uh, so, watching this movie for the first time in a while, there are a lot of problems uh, that you can just point out. You know, the weather. Um, why does it transition so abruptly from like a fall setting in like the first scene to a winter setting later on? And I don't mean at the castle. I get there's enchantment on the castle. There isn't an enchantment on Belle's house though, which does experience winter. So I don't know how that works. Uh, you know, there are a lot of continuity mistakes with, like, clothing and, and burns and, and this, that, and the other thing that are very easy to point out and, and have a laugh at. And, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of, like, technical issues that happen as well, which I think, you know, they don't really ruin the movie, but they contribute to the missing six points from its rating i guess i would say that's you know there's a reason it's not perfect and it's incredible but it does miss that mark for me uh, so you can watch it you can like just look at the goof list on on wick on the uh, imdb page to really like go through all of those things i don't need to go through them all here it's it's just it's um it's a good movie and so, I think, I don't know, I would say revisit it if it's been a while since you've seen it last, because I bet it'll be a, I bet it'll be more amazing than you remember it being, and it's, it's a great, it's a great film, guys, it's a great film, it's a great film. So, that's my review on Beauty and the Beast, and now we're going to take a couple of seconds to break and then I'll be right back to talk about this week's Fantasy Movie League. Thanks. We sink into our seats right as they dimmed out all the lights. A technicolor world made out of music and sheen. I mean, how hard can that be? We had another relatively slow week in the Fantasy Movie League this week, week three of the fall 2017 season. Uh, Similarly to last week where, well, I guess not super similarly to last week, but on the whole, uh, other than a couple of outliers, everyone was pretty much clumped within the same kind of $10 million range. Uh, It's even more clumped this week with Despite the fact that James was able to hit a perfect cineplex, he ended the week first place, uh, winning his uh, first week in a while. This is his third win in the last five seasons. Uh, he He finished with $92,357,713. The perfect cineplex was... Five screens of American Assassin, two screens of Home Again, and one screen of Best of the Rest, which ended up being The Dark Tower. 
Dark Tower did take uh, Best Performer. But if you look, the top 10, you know, in 10th place is this last week was JLA Borns, Cineplex. He finished with 79 million, which is only a 13 million difference. So while there was a little bit of jockeying of positions uh, throughout the weekend, especially, this ended up being not as big of a moving week as I kind of thought it might be. But that's what happens when, you know, Eight of the top ten people, or well, as far as the season goes, now well, eight of the top eight of the top ten finishers had uh, five American Assassin screens. Jay Livorn had four of them, but even uh, Derek, who finished ninth, had a screen of it, and then five screens of the best of the rest. So he was in perfectly good company as well. Uh, so not the biggest moving week, but we do have a little bit of a couple of movement a little bit of change a little bit of change in the top top seedings so after week three in first place winner of the summer 17 season is rybone in second place winner of the awards 2017 season keel music in third place winner of the spring 2017 season is uh zach Shawbin. currently in fourth uh, is Perks Plex, uh, hoping to improve his standing and finally do better than fifth place. Uh, fingers crossed for him. In fifth place, Kirstine H. Jensen's, uh, who currently at her highest placement, uh, better than her best placement before, which was sixth place in spring 2017. In sixth, we have the box officer, uh, who has been outside the top 10 in his last three seasons. So, on a good on good standing right now in seventh in his debut season is Derek Derek starting out very strong uh, in eighth winner of the fall 2016 season is me eighth my current lowest placement uh, that I've been in but I moved up one spot from last week so progress uh, dropping from first place at the end of last week is Xanadu's Fantasy Pictures Showcase the third drops down to ninth, uh, having previously finished seventh in fall and some fall of 2016 and summer of 2017. Uh, he's dropped all the way from first to ninth, and he's going to try and right the ship in week four. Rounding out the top ten is Cinemania Theater, Cinemania Theaters, uh, which is a position he is very very comfortable in. Um, notable of note, uh, other things of note. Uh, James, who won this week, uh, moved up to 16th place. Or, shit, he might have been in 16th place already. Actually, I can just look. Um, He, yes, he did move up to 16th place, so he improved. Uh, He had the perfect cineplex, which is his second perfect cineplex to date, uh, which now elevates him to tied with the flex, uh, with two cineplexes, or two perfect cineplexes, and his one behind Perksplex, who's got three. Uh, everyone above that is a previous winner. Additionally, uh, with five, uh, five screens of best of the rest, Derek jumps into the lead this season in total best performers played with six. Uh, behind him, you've got uh, Zach, Xanadu's Fantasy Pixar Showcase, and James, all with four. 
Rybone and the Flex each have three. Everyone else is less than that. And as it turns out, everyone now, after week three, has a best performer in one of their lineups except for me. Uh, I have yet to find or play a best performer this season. And that's pretty, pretty bad. Uh, So uh, prior to this season, I was averaging... Uh, more than 25, 28. I was averaging 28 best performers a season, like more than two a week. And uh, currently I have zero. So again, trying to write the ship. going to try and write that ship. We'll see. Um, let's see here. That's pretty much it. Um, So week three, I mentioned James won. Uh, Zach and Drector's cut both finished tied for second, uh, screening Mother and two best of the rests instead of two home agains and a best of the rest. Kill Music finished fourth this week, uh, substituting his best of the rest screening at the end of the perfect cineplex for a Logan Lucky. And uh, three-way tie for fifth is myself, The Infamous, and Rybone who went with Mother and Two Emoji Movies after their five screens of American Assassin. So we've seen, despite the fact, you know, we've seen a lot of movement throughout these couple of weeks. Um, Xanadu in particular is the probably the most noteworthy one in week three. But all that being said, if we look at the overall season standings, the difference between, uh, you know, I would say using James and the infamous as the bottom of as the as the bottom they're at 213 and 212 million dollars respectively and the leader Rybone is at 261 so that's only a difference of just under 50 million dollars which is not an insurmountable lead uh, with 10 weeks to go and if you further look at just the top 10 by themselves Rybone's at 261 Keel Music's at 259, Shaubin, Perks Plex both at 253, Kirsten H. Jensen's 251. Uh, so the top five only separated by $10 million. And then, you know, going down, you've got the box office at 247, Derek 246, myself 244, Xanadu 243, uh, and so on and so on. Uh, so uh, this week, however, looking at the movies, we've got Kingsman. Uh, Ninja, the Lego Ninjago movie, a Friend Request, Brad Status, and Battle of the Sexes, all brand new, five new movies on the slate, and uh, a lot of solid holdovers st- standing around hoping to see if they can hold on to theaters and hold on to some of their money. Uh, so there seem to be a lot of different routes to go. Looking at the current research vault, a lot of people like Lego Ninjago movie, a lot of people like American Assassin. And almost half of everyone likes Kingsman. So it feels like there is going to be some more movement. But when the lineups are released after the lock after the lock time, it may turn out that everyone's got the same like two or three lineups. So uh, we'll have to see. <clears throat> uh, so that's pretty much it for this week. Uh, 
thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be I'll be back next week with a little with uh, with a week four recap for the Cinerealist Fantasy Movie League. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, if you have any comments, concerns, questions, or answers, you can send those to circleoffilm at gmail.com. If you want to learn more about the podcast, the spreadsheets, or myself, or pretty much any other information, really, you can head over to circleoffilm.com to learn all about that kind of thing. If you want to uh, support the show in any way, shape, or form, you can check out patreon.com slash circle of film to figure out where that's all, what's going on over there. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be good, say goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be good, say Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.